has my name, it has my address, it has my enrollment number, it has my date of birth. On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, tribal IDs are supposed to be good for air travel, but travelers say the TSA doesn't always accept them. Plus, a nine-mile road extension in Sitka behind schedule and over budget shows the pitfalls of construction in southeast Alaska. And some Alaska libraries are now loaning out telescopes to inspire patrons to look to the stars. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Clear tonight with lows in the mid-50s, northwest winds to 15 miles an hour. Sunny again tomorrow with highs in the mid-70s, northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. On Thursday night, chance of rain showers with lows around 60, northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. On Friday, mostly cloudy with highs around 70 and light winds. On Friday night, mostly cloudy, lows in the mid-50s with light winds. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. A traveler recently filed a complaint after not being allowed to use his tribal identification card at a Seattle-Tacoma International Airport security checkpoint. As KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, it's not the first time the issue has been reported, and it raises questions about what will happen when real IDs become required in the spring. Monica Ortiz says that he was attempting to fly from Seattle to Ketchikan when he was held up at a security checkpoint. He had presented his Central Council of Klinget and Haida identification card to a security agent. He says the agent told him the scanning machine did not accept it. Then he basically told me that it was not acceptable and if I had some other form of ID. And so I told him it was my tribal card, my tribal ID, and I asked him to scan it again. And uh, his response was, it was not going through the machine. So I, I told him, you know, that it should be acceptable. Those cards are one of a handful of federal identifications on TSA's list of accepted IDs. The list also includes cards issued by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, military IDs, and passports. Ortiz says he ended up showing the agent his Washington state driver's license. He says he felt crunched for time to make his flight, and the airport was busy right before the 4th of July holiday, so he didn't ask for a supervisor or press the issue. Tribal ID cards need to be inspected manually, a TSA spokesperson wrote to KRBD on Wednesday. Ortiz filed a complaint with the TSA and says he hasn't heard back. It's his second complaint on the issue after it happened in February 2020 at an Oakland, California airport. He says he also reached out to TSA's Tribal Affairs Liaison. Basically, she noted that that CAT technology machine does not read tribal um, IDs and that the TSA officers should not be trying to, you know, use that machine. He says that she recommended he ask for a supervisor next time, something he says he didn't feel comfortable doing this time. He says he's going to continue to use the card. Ortiz is even more concerned about what might happen after the deadline to get a real ID in May of next year. Ortiz says that he has had his state ID with him when he travels, but worries for tribal citizens who can't obtain one or can't afford the fee, which can range from $20 up to $40. Alaska's Division of Motor Vehicles says that once the May 3rd deadline hits, federal identification like BIA or tribal cards will still be considered accepted forms of ID. I actually am more concerned about, you know, tribal citizens that don't have that or are not able to afford um, a passport and are not even aware that this is coming up, and especially on a domestic flight. Um, I believe that you should be able to use it for other purposes, too, but definitely, you know, having the flight, you know, it's already a a challenging situation in terms of getting through TSA and making your flight. Jamie Ann Efton Hasselquist is the vice president of Juno's chapter of the Alaska Native Sisterhood. She's been looking into the issue in her free time. She says the solution might lie in more training and awareness from TSA. 
she notes that there are 574 federally recognized tribes in the country and that 229 of those are in Alaska. So TSA has just got to do a better job and uh, start training their, their staff on what is accepted and what is um, not accepted as identification. You know, with uh, military ID is accepted and, um, and our tribal ID should be accepted and it should be accepted wherever money is accepted. She says she refuses to use her Alaska state ID when traveling. It's an attempt to raise awareness about the cards. So I, I kind of set all these boundaries so that, so, that, um, so that they can become educated, so that the next person who comes in doesn't have um, this erasure of, of our people because we've been you know, fighting for our identity and to be seen for, you know, since colonization came to town, basically. Hasselquist has also tackled the issue of using tribal IDs in the past. She submitted a complaint to the Alaska Human Rights Commission when a Fred Meyer store in Juneau put up a sign announcing that the cards could not be used to purchase tobacco products. She says the sign reminded elders of a time when stores would hang no dogs, no native signs in their windows. Tobacco is um, also used in ceremony, so for... Um, for that sign to be posted is also, I think, an infringement against our um, freedom to religion. Hasselquist says that a conciliation agreement was being worked on. And Hasselquist says that the Klingit and Haida cards already meet the Real ID standards, which include new security features. It has my name. It has my address. It has my enrollment number. It has my date of birth. It has an expiration date. It has a photo. It has a logo of the uh, federally recognized tribe. And then it also has the holograms on it. Hasselquist says she wants to see the cards as accepted forms of identification, not only in airports, but anywhere people are required to show ID. Reporting in Keshikan, I'm Reagan Miller. State health officials reported 25 new cases of COVID-19 in Ketchikan residents in the past seven days in their latest report on Wednesday. That's up 14% from the week before. Four non-resident cases were reported for the week. No new deaths linked to COVID-19 were reported in Ketchikan by the state health department. So far, 24 COVID-19 related deaths have been reported in Ketchikan. Peace Health Ketchikan Medical Center spokesperson reported on Tuesday that four people were hospitalized with the disease in Ketchikan. For the Prince of Wales Hinder Census Area, state data shows 14 new resident cases in the past seven days, down from a total of 25 the previous week. There were five non-resident cases also reported. The state health department reported no new deaths linked to COVID-19 in the census area. There have been 10 so far in the census area, which includes POW, Metlakatla, Hyder, and Cake. State COVID-19 data is updated weekly on Wednesdays and does not include at-home test results. There's more information available on the state's dashboard. That's data.coronavirus.alaska.gov. The Cadillac Bay Road in Sitka is behind schedule and over budget, and it'll need an infusion of cash to get across the finish line. Sitka Senator Bert Stedman says the legislature has appropriated enough money to complete the Catlian project and several others around the state, but the road may still serve as a cautionary tale about the reality of construction along southeast Alaska's rugged coastline. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The nine-mile extension of the Sitka road system was budgeted at just under $32 million in 2019, but it's had its share of problems. My personal opinion, they should have built it on the waterline like they did Sawmill Creek. Instead, they put it halfway up the hill. 
and that leads to a lot of design and construction costs increases. That's Sitka Senator Bert Stedman, who championed the project as far back as 2012 when it was approved by voters in a statewide bond package. The road connects lands owned by Shiatica, Sitka's urban native corporation, at the head of Catlian Bay. KNE Alaska was awarded the project in the spring of 2019 with a proposed completion date in the fall of 2022. Stedman says they're not going to make it. It's getting better. They're moving faster. Things are improving and have been for several months. And the crew's working hard. But it's, it's hard on equipment. It's difficult. It's dangerous. And it should have been built on the, along the water. Stedman says it's fortunate that the state tipped into surplus in June, driven by high oil prices that everywhere else but Alaska tend to be bad news. He says the legislature was able to allocate $30 million to complete the Catlian Road and some other projects around the state, and Catlian may take up to half of that pot. How is that fortunate? If the price of oil had not spiked and if it were another cash-strapped year in state government, Stedman says the Department of Transportation may have had to close out the Catlian contract and rebid it in the future. Stedman thinks that may have cost more than it saved. And that was one of the points I made to, you know, DOT. We're better off to fix the design issue now, move forward and finish it, than to stop it and come back in a year or two. It's going to cost us at least $5 million plus inflation. This is actually, the, believe it or not, the low-cost alternative. Stedman is clearly frustrated with the project, which on paper doesn't appear extraordinarily challenging. Just a nine-mile, single-lane gravel road with turnouts. It's no glorified I-5 or even Halibut Point Road, Stedman says. But he absolutely wants it to be completed and to be usable. He doesn't really have a role to play there. Rather, the state's engineers and the contractor will huddle to come up with a way to finish the road. The big takeaway, Stedman believes, might be the lesson the DOT has learned from working in challenging topography similar to that proposed for other projects. And the danger can't be overstated. The Catlian project has already claimed one life. With the difficulty of building Catlian up on that hillside, um, and you take that same concept and you go north of Juneau, up Lynn Canal, I would be very, very concerned if they were going to try to build a road up Lynn Canal, what it would actually cost us in the end. Because looking at Catlian, it's significantly more than anticipated. And Lynn Canal is, I don't know how many, what magnitude difficulty increase it is over Catlian, but it's significant. Stedman considers the project to be roughly 80% complete, but there are still bridges to construct across the Catlian River and estuary. He'd like to see the road eventually extended across the head of the bay to Alaska Mental Health Trust lands in Cedar Cove. But Stedman says, I'm 66 and this has taken over 10 years, so I may not be the one doing it. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. The Kenai Community Library is one of 60 U.S. libraries partnering with NASA this year through the NASA at My Library program. The library used some of those grant funds to bring two new additions to its collection, and earlier this month celebrated an astronomical milestone in the science world. KDLL's Sabine Pooks reports. There isn't much to see in Alaska's night sky at the moment. But not long from now, the sky will be full of stars, and the Kenai Community Library is ready. We were able to purchase telescopes and binoculars, so when we get dark again, people can actually go out and they can check out a telescope and they can look at the stars. 
Elizabeth Clavino is program coordinator for the Kenai Community Library. And the library has a grant from NASA to promote the new James Webb Telescope, which launched in December. The first images from the telescope were publicized, and Tuesday, the library celebrated that milestone with a dedicated James Webb Day, including bingo, take-home kits, and a space-themed story time. While the stars glow bright and light up the night in my own little piece of the universe. The two new telescopes will be available to library users year-round. Clavino says it's part of a push to engage the community with more interactive programming. Really cool thing, libraries are really getting into kits and different things that people can take home, so you don't have to purchase it. You can check it out from the library for 21 days, take it home, there's books so you can read to your kids, there's um, manuals on how to fix, how to set up the telescope, how to look at the sky, we even have some star charts so people know what they're looking at. The telescopes come in day packs, and there's also a pair of nighttime binoculars that require less setup. Clavino says the Anchorage Public Library was the first in the state to get the grant from NASA, and have found the telescopes to be really popular. She says the Kenai Library bought its own in February and March, and hasn't seen much interest yet, but she hopes as the sky becomes darker, and as there are more opportunities to actually see what's happening in the night sky, that changes. But we're hoping that this winter they really get checked out a lot more. In Kenai, I'm Sabine Pooks. That's all for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can get the show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app or on your smart speaker by asking it to play the KRBD Evening Report. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Eric Stone.